Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. Okay, we're talking about a new priesthood, a new transition that the church is making. That when we say church, we mean you and I and everyone in the church. If we're going to go to what we are now terming as Zion, I've been terming as Zion, our um, banners at the back here say welcome to a ch- you know, Zion explosion. Well, what is Zion? Well, we've got to understand that we eat this elephant at one bite at a time. And I can't give you everything, but we can unfold it and we can learn. And that which you learn and understand, you can then begin to pray about and walk into. And God has been very merciful to us. He's given us a new dimension for a church. I don't just mean for us. I think there's a lot of churches around the world who are going to enter into this whole new phase of church. Because church as we know it is not working. It's not transforming society. It's not transforming those who belong in the church. Something has to change. A fresh understanding, a new power has to be released within the lives of the people. Rather than just coming on the people, it needs to come inside the people. So the people can rise to a new level. Amen? Because society is not changing. And if we're supposed to be the answer, then why aren't we? So... God has to do something very, very powerful with our lives. And one of these dimensions is Zion. But we talked about last week how the, when you look at in the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, there's always the priesthood that's mentioned. The priests were a central figure in the Old and the New Testament. However, the priesthood changes in the New Testament. But the Old Testament priesthood is very much still around today. Even though we're not slaughtering animals and, and you know, blood everywhere, But the practices and the philosophies of that thinking is still in modern day church. So we're trying to come out and recognize those old practices and come away from them. So that we can transition into what the Bible tells that you are now a priest and king in the order of Melchizedek. Now what's that all about? Just calm down. Fasten your seatbelts. In other words, you're now in Christ. And God is the new priest. Should say Jesus is the new priest who made the sacrifice on your behalf. So we're talking about two mountains. God changed mountain. God was once met Israel on Mount Sinai. And now in the New Testament, he's bringing us all to Mount Zion. There's two mountains. Why does God like mountains? I think he just loves his creation. But he, the two specific mountains that have two different functions. Two different priesthoods with two different functions. And, you know, we've got to understand that God is making, God has changed the dress. He's moved from Sinai for all kinds of reasons. I'll show you in a minute. And he's moved to Zion. Why? Because that's the place he's ruling from. The Bible clearly tells us that God will restore Israel, restore things, and from Mount Zion. God is ruling right now from Mount Zion. He's not waiting till then. He's already doing it now. So, Pat read to us this morning, Hebrews. And as she read from Hebrews, it's talking about you have come. Present tense. Not you're going to come. You have come to Mount Zion. So it's a dimension that we need to understand so that our lives can get more and more powerful. Okay? That's introduction 101. But we need to understand what God's doing. We can't just... I said to you a couple of weeks ago, you can't just view what God's doing from your life. Because to get a true and accurate picture of what God's doing... If I say what God's doing in David's life and what God's doing in Phil's life, they're two different things. They're making a similar journey, but they've got different circumstances. So it's not accurate to say what God's doing in David or what God's doing in Phil. He's doing in everyone. 
We know he's doing a new thing, but they're all new things. They're different new things. It's not even accurate to say what he's doing in the church. Because what he's doing in one church is different than what he's doing in another church. Some are in rebellion, some are asleep, some are waking up, some are being healed, some are being invigorated. So God's doing, excuse me, God's doing something new in every church. The only way you can understand what God's really doing is by what he's doing in the nations. Why? Because God fundamentally is a, is a nation God. God all the time speaks about nations in the Bible. When he's talking about a nation, it means me and you. So when the prophetic word comes to a nation, it means us. Now, God is always and always has been and always will be speaking about nations. That's his agenda. He starts from the top up and works down rather than work from the individual up. Do you understand that? So we need to understand what God's doing. And God wanted to, he started this whole deal through Abraham. He said, Abraham, through you. And your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Through you and your seed. So we started with one man and went instantly to nations. So God is always thinking about nations. And when he said to Abraham, your seed, he just wasn't including Israel. He says, all nations through you will be blessed. So our linkage is not so much Adam, it's Abraham. That's where the promise came to. Now all, all the Muslims... And the Christians all understand the promises that came from Abraham. They have no problem with Abraham. Because out of Abraham came Ishmael. Yes? So they understand Abraham as a central figure. Now they have a problem when you get to Jesus. And everyone's had a problem with Jesus. Yes? Everyone's had a problem with Jesus. But Abraham is a central figure that God uses all the way through the Bible. Why? Because he knows everyone can identify with Abraham. Because we're all, we're all part of those nations. No one had ever spoke about nations until he came to Abraham. So God begins to speak to nations and works on nations. <coughs> and then from Abraham, he will then work through the church. So from Abraham, you get nations. And then from Abraham, Christ, Jesus Christ's lineage goes all the way. He links to Abraham. Yes? And what happens is now is now the church is in Jesus Christ. So now we're not so much a nation, we're a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and kings, the Bible calls us. Yeah? So what was started in, in Abraham is now going to be fulfilled through the church. Because God's still got his, his, his intent. God has still got his purpose. He's still going to turn all the nations back to him. Now he does it through Jesus. And Jesus is the head of the church. You are not only in a church, the Bible says he's put us in a body. The body has a head. The head is Jesus Christ. The shoulders is the pastor, the elders, and the body is you and me. We're all part of the body. So Christ is working through a church. What he couldn't do through Israel, he will now fulfill through the church. Because Israel went off track. Now, he starts off in Mount Sinai with him, and he brings the church to Mount Zion. Yes, you understand that? He starts off in Mount Sinai, he brings them out of the desert, he meets with them on the mountain, and I'll talk to you about the mountain in a second, and then we, they lose track. The wheels fall off, literally fall off. They go into captivity, and they keep going into captivity and captivity and captivity, till eventually Jesus Christ arises, now he births the church, now God is bringing the church to be 
on Mount Zion. Why? Because that's where God rules from. He tried to meet with them on Zion, but now he's ruling, sorry, Mount Sinai, and now he's ruling in Zion. I know that all sounds, what's he on about? Just stay with me. I said to him, trying to preach an understanding. Who wants godly life insurance? I've got godly life insurance. It's called God. That's why it's called godly. Life insurance. He protects me. He's got me back. He's got me front. He's over me. What can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ? Nothing. So I've got godly life insurance. But you know, God wants you to understand more and more of that. But the way to understand that is by transitioning into Zion. Because when you're in Zion, as Pat read to us this morning from Hebrews, that all the dimensions get stronger and stronger. The revelation of Christ being your protector is stronger as you start moving in your mind and your heart towards Zion. Yes? How many of you want a better covenant? Well, you know, it says in Hebrews that you've come to the place of a better covenant. Where's that? In Zion. A better covenant. We've got a covenant going on, but a better one. Where the blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, who cried out from the ground. Yes? How many of you want more spiritual fruit in your life? Well, you've got to transition from one from Sinai to Zion. How many of you want more presence, glory? That's what you've just been singing. Well, the glory that the, the Israelites couldn't handle is sharing with us now. Amen? So when we're talking about Zion, let me tell you what we're not talking about. Just so anybody listening on CD doesn't get the wrong idea. When we talk about Zion, we are not talking about, we are not talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Zion is an old word that you, in the Bible it used for Jerusalem. When we say Jerusalem, we mean Israel. We are not talking about Israel. We are not talking about Jerusalem. Okay? We're not referring, nor are we suggesting that we all become Zionist. Yes? We're not a political movement. We're not a political movement. Nor are we a nationalistic. No, sorry, nor are we nationalistic. Yes? We're not shouting Jews for Palestine. Our cause is not that one. Our cause, assignment, and mission is to see God's kingdom touch our own nation. Yes, our own nation and the nations beyond our borders. Amen? With his glory and his power. Yeah? Israel will have her day. The Bible teaches us that. But guess what? We're the people who must transition to make sure we have ours. So when we, it's helpful, it's helpful to understand we're not talking about a physical place. We're not talking about Jews. Because the moment you start talking about Jews, people will say you're either anti-Semitic or you're over the top. Yes? In some parts of the world, you couldn't talk about coming to Mount Zion because people would think you mean this language. Yeah? Oh, the Jews, the Zionists. No, 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 we're not. That's not our mantra. We're not politically activated. Yes? We are spiritually trying to perceive a dimension of God that God is bringing to his church in this hour. It's amazing how many times you have to keep bringing that back on to the page because people will think these kind of things. When you use certain language, people's minds drift. Yes? And if you watch Christian TV, the first thing you always hear is Israel, Israel, Israel. As if there's only one nation in the world. There's not only one nation. There's nations. Out of you, I will bless all nations. Israel will have her portion. But so will Great Britain. 
So will Great Britain. Amen. But you know, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Therefore, my dear, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. So God's doing something in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In other words, what he already preordained would happen for your life and what he wanted for your life, he's already put inside you and he's working to bring that out. Now, if he's doing that with you, he's doing it with us. That's his church. His good will and perfect will is that the church operates from Zion, not from Sinai. That's his perfect will. That's why Hebrews tells us you've come. He's already put us there. So how many of you know, individually and corporately, you have to, you are responsible to work some things out. It's so easy to become a Christian. So, so easy. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I recognize what you did on the cross for me. And if it's genuine and sincere, God says you're in. If it's genuine and sincere. Yeah. But becoming a Christian and living as a Christian are completely two different things. To get to know God, to work out what he's put in your life, to know how to activate what he's put in your life, that is a whole education in itself. And many of us here have been Christians many, many years and we're still working it out. True? Because we know in part and there's a lot we don't know. So what we don't know has to come to us by revelation. What we do understand cerebrally, that's great. But a lot of this stuff has to come by revelation. Revelation means Holy Spirit has to teach us. Yes? If books could teach us everything, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has to come to you as you desire more of God. God will make things known to you. That is the truth. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Yes? Ask him, he'll, t- he'll show you. So everything God offered to the church, sorry, everything God offered to Israel, he offered to the church. He gave to the church. He shows no favoritism. But first he moved with a nation. He moved with Israel. Israel was the first nation that God began to move with, collective people. And everything he offered them, he's now given to us. Let me show you. You know, the condition of our hearts and our detestable practices and we've all got some of them, yes, will always follow us throughout life. Have you ever found that habits follow you? Yes? Private habits, as well as public habits, follow you, and they bring all kinds of problems to our life, do they not? And they make it difficult to make a new transition. How many of you got any old habits? I've got old habits. Anyone got any new habits? Of course you do. And that's why you've got to work your salvation out, get rid of some stuff, so you can become more and more in Christ's image. You have to recognize, God, this is not good for my life. Cut it off, Lord. The Bible calls that circumcision. Not with human hands, thank goodness, but from the heart. God cuts the old flesh off. Yes? And Israel was a nation who had detestable practices. She constantly was always in trouble because of her practices. How many of you know that? There's an old Christian adage when preachers speak about Israel, and it says this, 
that though God took Israel out of Egypt, he could never take Egypt out of Israel. So let's put that contemporary. You can take the boy out of Manchester, but you can't get Manchester out the boy. Yes? So wherever you go, there's always a mank in there somewhere. There's always, all right, there are kids. There's always a mank somewhere. Doesn't matter where you put them, her, her, or her, there's always a bit of our accent and a bit of our mannerisms and our ways will come out. True? So it's important that these things stop us from transitioning. And people can hold us in bondage because of those things. And God took specific interest in Israel when he watched her, how she collected things and how she practiced things. She was a very, very observant nation. She watched, she learned, she listened, and then she copied. And it got her in trouble time and time again, just like you and I. <laughs> yeah, that's why you say, don't hang around him. Don't hang around them. Don't listen to them. Why? Because you know that you begin to pick up the practices of those you hear. You become like those you spend your time with, do you not? So, now Egypt is a symbol of what? Egypt is a symbol of slavery. It's a symbol of bondage. It's a symbol of unbelief. It's a symbol of murmuring and cursing. All those things stopped Israel leaving Sinai and going to Zion. Now inside you, there's murmuring. I only have to change something and there'll be murmurs. If I said next week we're starting at 11 o'clock, oh, yeah, flipping 11 o'clock, I go for my cafe at 12, uh, 12.30. Now it's going to put me time back. I got a tee off. I play golf at 12.30 or 1 o'clock. Now it messes me up. Now, and you'll find a way to murmur. People do that. That's the nature of people to moan and complain. True? Then they curse. People curse. People curse. People have unbelief. This is Christians we're talking about. People have bondage. Oh yeah. Bondage doesn't have to be a sexual thing. It can be anything that holds you down. Yeah? And then, idolatry. We worship all kind of things. Whether it's your house, your clothes. Whether it's your job. Whether it's your wife, your children. We can all fall into idolatry. It's so, so easy. We, we, it's so easy when, God, when, you, when you think of idolatry, you think almost like adultery. But idolatry means anything that gets more attention than the one that should get it. True? Liking things is not a problem. Worshipping them is. Yes? You can enjoy your car, but worshipping it will get you in trouble. You can enjoy your wealth, but worshipping it will get you in trouble. And Romans 12 verse 2 says this, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another word there is image. An image. Everyone has an image of what they think the better life is. And then they pursue the better life. Now, is it wrong to pursue a better life? No. But at what cost? Yes. He says, the world will have its standards, but you're not called of this world. The world will stay on Sinai. I'm calling you to Zion. You've got to leave some things behind and move to a whole new way of living. So he says, 
Be transformed. In other words, everything has to change. How do you get transformed? By a new cry. We heard this morning. There has to be a new cry. By revelation. The more you understand, the more you can let go of some stuff. Yes? The more the Holy Spirit teaches you, the more you can acknowledge it, and the more you can let go of some stuff and move in towards the future. It's amazing when the Holy Ghost teaches you things. You know, he doesn't waste time, the Holy Ghost. He teaches you because he knows you'll do something with it. Amen? He says, so what? So you then will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect will. Now that cross-referenced that with Philippians 2, 12, 16. Work out your salvation. So, so you'll know God's perfect, pleasing will. So all the time, the emphasis is on you and I working out some stuff. You can't stay where you are. You can't just expect the preacher to give it you and everything will be okay. Sunday morning is, is only one day. You've got to do something with this word. And it's not magic. You can't just stand there and throw a word out just because you've heard me say it on a Sunday morning. Something has to, it has to take hold of you. The word is a person. It's not just words. Because if that was the case, we call it magic. We're not saying abracadabra in Jesus' name. No, no, no. We speak about the one we know. And the one who is speaking to us. We speak what he says, not what we just heard. Something has to be revealed into you. Then it becomes power. It becomes substance. Yes? Have you noticed the little, the children? She hears dad say something, or mum said it. She goes to her sister or her brother. She says, dad said. And she's trying to borrow father's authority. But I guess what? It's not her authority, but she thinks it is. And then the sister slaps her one. And then she realized, actually, this authority gets you in trouble. But when dad says it, there's order. There's power. This transference, it brings everything into order. But when little Lucy does it, she gets a slap from her sister. Why? Because she borrowed that language, it was never hers. This is it. So many Christians get in trouble because they borrow someone else's language. It's got to be yours. Why? This is the revelation has to come to you. So it becomes yours. You know, God brings... Israel to Mount Sinai in order to bring an end to her previous behavior. You've got to come out of Egypt. Egypt is where you live. Egypt is where you work. Egypt is like a finely ground dust. It affects everything within society. It affects the way we think, the way we behave. Why? Because let's go back. It's bondage. It's immorality. It's adultery. Everything you see in society is what, what was in Egypt. Now, when you live in that kind of environment, you become what the atmosphere is. Yes? That's why you go into a city, and all of a sudden, you can feel the atmosphere change. And then all of a sudden, all the people begin to act like that. Have you noticed? I remember once being in a football match. And I remember the, the, you know, both sets of supporters were, were uh, screaming and, and shouting at each other. And I remember the referee was giving us a bit of a bad day. That day. And it caused more tension. And I remember how the fans really, there was a spirit that was in the stadium. And it was let us loose and we will literally draw blood. And as you're, as I'm the sweet, humble, angelic fan there, you know, me rattle and me, and me rosette. 
and my Bobby at in those days, I remember feeling the same anger as the people felt. And I was ready to go to war and draw blood. Right? And the whole spirit, what was in the, in the stadium, came into me. I sensed it. How my heart shifted. I'll kill you. I don't know what I'd have done if they'd have said, go on then. I'd have probably ran away. But then all of a sudden, you then you feel it all flow out. And then you go away thinking, what was that what got hold of me? Why? Because spirits operate. They operate within cities, over houses, over factories. So you all feel the same. Think the same. Flow the same way. That's why Romans just said, don't conform to the pattern and the image of this world. But by the renewing of your mind. So you've got to know, hey, you've got to look at it and say, this is happening. I've got to move out the way. Because this thing is trying to get me. It's possible to travel through a city and pick up the thoughts of the city. It really is. That's how powerful these things are. So you think, what is he on about? I'm telling you, it's true. It's true. Israel had to come out of Egypt. But Egypt was still alive within Israel. Their ways, their thoughts, their philosophies. Yeah? You know, the trouble is with us, we are settlers by nature. We don't like to move. We don't like to change. That's why many of us, you know, stay in this country. Two weeks is about as much as we can handle. And then we go on our holidays and we come back. But how many of us couldn't live abroad? Why? Because we don't like change. And that's why when you're younger, you'll go anywhere. Do anything. But the older you get, you sit down. You stay. Why? Because you are a settler as opposed to a pioneer. Yes? Israel were settlers. They wasn't pioneers. That's why God had to pull them out. You're going to pioneer a new way. You're going to tra- make a transition. Oh, they cried to get out, but they, then they didn't want to leave. How many of us like that? We cried to get out, and then when God gets us out, oh, take me back. I like the smell of garlic and onions. Don't change my life too much, Lord. Don't change my circle of friends. Don't change my social life. God says, you're coming out. So in Exodus 19, verse 5, he says this to them. Now, if you obey me fully, not half-heartedly, fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That God said this to Moses. So he's saying, you know, when Israel had backslid, don't forget there was a reason why she was in, why she was in Egypt. Because she was in slavery. Because she kept chasing after things she shouldn't have chased. So she's in slavery. God hears the cries of the people. He brings them out and he said, he, sh- he downloads them his heart. He said, you're going to be my treasured possession. You know, it breaks your heart when your son or your daughter leave home and do the things they want to do. Why? Because your children are your treasured possession. You raised them with your own hand, true? And when you see your children doing, the, doing their own things, it breaks your heart. You know what? Our children don't understand it. They never understand. They have to be a parent or they have to grow up to see the heartache that they cause us. And when mum's on the phone, oh, stop moaning, mum. They'll never know what they rob us from. Why? Because they're still young. And it doesn't matter how much tears you cry, 
How much time you talk, they just say, oh, mum and dad's on one again. They just don't understand. And it breaks the heart of a parent to see the kids do that. That's exactly what was do, they were, Israel was doing to God. They were breaking his heart to see him. And he's saying, this is not what I had for you. This is not the way I wanted you to live. I've got more in my heart for you than you could ever think or even imagine. But you'll chase all the things that's going to what's gonna put you into slavery and bondage. Yeah, yeah, we know that. We know that. But let us do it. Then, then there's nothing worse than someone saying to you, I love you, and then keep doing the, doing the opposite. If you were married to a person, a partner, that said he loved you, but then chased other people, or she chased other fellas, what would you say? They don't love me. So at one point, God actually says, in his word, he gives Israel a certificate of divorce. Yes, he says, you're out of here. You can't keep breaking my heart like this. I'll let a whole generation go, and then I'll call another generation in. But you lot are not going to get in. But that was never his heart. You understanding this? It was never his heart. So you might disobey God. God might have to wait until you pass off before he uses your lineage. But guess what? He's got eternity. You haven't. But it breaks his heart to see his children do that. And this is what Israel was doing. And this was God's heart for Egypt was that she would be his treasure. And you know, you're still his treasure today. You know, I know if you go to 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God. The treasure that he gave to Israel, he's now given it to you and me. Yes, Israel had treasure, so do we. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the treasure that he wanted Israel to become, we have now become his treasure. The church. You are now his treasure. So you can't go and do your own thing like they did. Because it still breaks your father's heart. Hello? Who, what's the jar? You're the jar. You're the vessel. God's put it in you. The very treasure that's in Christ Jesus, he has now put inside you. Now he says, look after it. Guard it. Don't let anything attack the treasure because you are my treasured possession. Jesus Christ died for his church. He'll do anything for his church because the church is his treasured possession. And that's why a shepherd cannot strike the sheep. Why? Because it's not my role to strike you. Because you are his treasured possession. Yes? And I'm his treasured possession. So we're all, he's, we're all in the same body. So he says, hey, don't be too rough with my people. Be strong with them, but don't be rough with them. Don't malign them. Don't beat them down. Raise them up. Why? Because in, the, in all this, show them the heart. Show them my heart to, to, to the, my people. I'm supposed to be a reflection of his heart. Don't kill the people. But sometimes don't take any messing from them. Because Israel tried to fool them around. Yes? So if you go to Exodus 19. (coughs) God gave, the next thing God gave to Israel is he gave her a mediator. So Israel was treasure. We are now treasure. God gave Israel a mediator through Moses. Moses would speak to God, and then God would speak to Moses, and then Moses would speak to the people. He was Israel's mediator. Yes? Now, Jesus Christ is our mediator. 
So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and they set before them all the words of the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything you've said, you lying rats. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking. This is verse 7, sorry, down to 9. With you and will always put their trust in you. So God is anchoring his man in the midst of the people. These people are going to listen to you. They're going to trust you. Why? Because if they get to me, they, don't, they can't handle me. But if I can speak to you and you can speak to them, this will be okay. Why? Because the way to God was not open. So if I put a mediator there, I'll meet with my man. I'll work with him. I'll purify him. So I'll meet with him. And then he can speak to the people. And I'll meet because Moses is the mediator. Yes? So here he says, you know, I'm going to do everything. He said, uh, and the people responded, it sounds great, Moses. It sounds great. You make the journey, we can stand here. Why? Because we're lazy rats. We're stubborn. We've got things in our hearts that if we get too close to him, we're finished. So, then, listen, this is what I love. It says, then Moses, listen, told the Lord what the people said. Now, if you're smart, you'll underline that in your Bible. Then Moses told the Lord what the people said, like God didn't hear. Yeah? Beware when the pastor tells the Lord about things you've been saying. If God can speak to Moses, and Moses goes back and said, hey, you know what this crowd's just been saying? God says, yeah, I understood, but Moses told. He, was, he didn't gossip. He just let it all out. He let it all out. Why? Because it sounded good. Yeah, we'll do everything you say, Moses. So Moses probably went before God and said, hey, you know, they said they're going to obey everything. They're going to do everything. God says, Moses, I've been with these people long enough. What they say and what they do are two different things. And Moses probably thought, hey, no, 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 they told me they're going to do it. Yeah, of course he did. Just hold back. It won't take five minutes before they change their minds. I don't have to turn gas mark one up to two and they're finished. Right? So all of a sudden, Moses goes and tells the people. So here we have, listen, Moses, God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to the people. The people agree with both God and Moses. Then Moses tells God what the people have agreed. Do you understand that? So all of a sudden, we get down to Hebrews 5, verse 6. Sorry, Hebrews chapter 8. Then it says here. Just keep your finger in Exodus. I've got a lot of scriptures to show you, but I can't apologize for that. I'm trying to teach you a principle. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. They serve at the sanctuary. Talking about the priest. That is a copy of a shadow of what was in heaven. So in other words, everything that happened in Exodus and on, onwards, the tabernacle and all the sacrifices, everything that God instigated in Israel, for Israel, then it says in Hebrews, I know I'm skipping way, way forward, it says it was just a, a copy and a shadow. Yeah? Of what was in heaven. Yeah? This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown, on, shown to you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs. 
as their covenant, of which he was a mediator, is superior to the old one. And it is found on better promises. So whatever God said to Israel, we've got a better deal. Yeah? God gave Israel a mediator and has given us the church a mediator also. But the difference is, our mediator is Jesus Christ. Moses didn't die for the people, but Jesus Christ did. And then, just write these scriptures down, I can go through them quickly then. Galatians 3.20 says this, A mediator, however, does not represent just one party. But God is one. A mediator, Moses was operating on behalf of God and the people. Yes? Then it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. This testimony given in its proper time. Hebrews 8. Following on, verse 6. The ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs. As the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. So our covenant, we got a better deal. Are you glad? And he's found on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. That's why they had to leave Sinai. It was never any good for them. It was, God looked at him, he brought him to Sinai and he went, you know we're not stopping here, don't you? You know there's, there's a lot more transitions to go. We're not stopping here. But they wanted to stay here. He said, no, 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 we're not stopping here. We've got places to go. We've got people to see. We've got nations to take. We're not stopping here. And then he says, but, it, the, uh, but God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord. Now, what I love about Matthew 17, I read it to you last week in, in the, uh, the building the spirit. It says, Jesus, what I love about this is that now Jesus, this is before he goes up to be with his father. He hadn't died yet, but he now takes Peter, James and his disciples, some of the disciples up the mountain on Mount Transfiguration. The same journey that Israel couldn't make, he now lets the disciples make. Hello? Why? Because the mediator's there. Now, he didn't fully, they, they had a different experience, but they were still ascending the mountain, where in Israel, they weren't even allowed to touch the mountain. Now, in Christ, we're allowed to ascend the mountain. And Jesus takes them up, and this is what happens. Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And just then he appeared before them. Moses, oh, he's there. The dude's still there. The one who was acting as their mediator is still included in the New Testament church. But guess, ask yourself a question. Where's all the crowd that was with him? They're not there. They've all gone. Dead. But Moses is still alive. Moses, God says, you're righteous. You made the transition. I had to let all these dead legs leave and die in the wilderness because they wouldn't make the journey. Now, we, don't, we know what happened to Moses because he stepped out of line eventually, but he's still included here. And here, Peter, James, and John and the brothers are seeing, wow, there's Moses, the dude. That we read about. Here's the one. He's showing them that the old order was obsolete. And now here he is. 
There's Moses and Elijah. Who, where are they with? They're with the Father. But I love about this is that as Jesus went up the mountain, just like you and I, as you begin to ascend Mount Zion, he says, and he was changed. And he was changed. And his face began to shine like the sun. You know, my friends, that's why the Bible gives you permission to ascend. Why? Because as you ascend, you begin to change in his image and in his glory. Your face begins to shine like the sun. Why? Because the sun is in you. You have permission to ascend that hill. They didn't have it. You've got something they didn't have. So when you read about Paul saying he's giving you something better, you need to understand what's better. He's opened up a way for us that, was, that, that they didn't enter. We made a journey that they didn't. Yeah? In Sinai, there's no permission for the people to enter up the mountain. Why? But in Zion, permission is given for the believer to enter. And why? I'm glad you asked. Go to Exodus 19. I'm going to show you. Last week, I didn't have the chance to show you. But now this week, you've lived another week. God's good to you. Now I can show you. Exodus 19, verse 12. God said to Moses, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you don't go up the mountain to touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. He will surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Wow, you get the picture, don't you? Don't go on the mountain. You know, if our Ben was there, you know where Ben's going, don't you? Our Ben's going up the mountain. You've all got kids like that, haven't you? Don't go on the mountain. Right, let's go on the mountain. We're going up the mountain. Yeah? Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast... They may go up to the mountain. So there was a clear, there was a call that said, okay, now you're okay, you can come up. The show's over, God's gone, he's lifted, you're now allowed on the mountain. Yeah? So it's not that they couldn't go hiking. It's not that God won't let them go hiking up the mountain. You can go up the mountain for, for exercise, but when I'm there, you can't come. When I'm there, everything's different. And you know why? Because it's just a mountain. It's just a mountain. But when God gets there, it changes. This is just a church, but when God gets here, it's the holy place. Wherever you meet God, when God turns up, the whole place changes. But when he goes, it's just a place again. Why? Because on, in, on a Mount of Transfiguration, there were physical people having a spiritual experience. You understand that? There were physical people having a spiritual experience. When they walked up that mountain, it was just a mountain. But as it got so high, things changed. Revelation turned up. Jesus' glory began to shine. Everything began to change. Why? There were physical people having a spiritual experience. That's why we are flesh and blood. That's why you can't get carried away. Don't worship the place. Don't put candles in it. It's a holy place. No, no, no. Make sure the candles let inside there. This is the holy place. This is where Jesus meets with us. This just keeps the rain off us at times. Yeah? This is just a meeting place, but he wants the dwelling place. There's a difference. The meeting place and the dwelling place are different. Sinai was a meeting place. Get this? Zion is the dwelling place. Sinai is a meeting place. It's where I'll meet with him. Zion is the dwelling place. It's where he lives. That's why when you rise up the mountain, you dwell with him. When you're in Sinai, you just meet with him. That's called introduction. That's called relationship. 
Do you understand that? The church hasn't come just to meet him. It's come to dwell with him and be part of him. So then you go to Exodus 20, verse 2. And this is why God would not let him up the mountain. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Have you come to inquire of me? And surely, as I live, I will not let you inquire of me, declares the sovereign Lord. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? He's talking to the prophet. Then confront them with these detestable practices of their father's history. And say to them, this history here, ready? This is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hand to the descendants of the house of Jacob and I revealed myself to them in Egypt. So they had a prior experience with them in, in Egypt. With uplifted hands, I said to them, I am the Lord, your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt, Egypt into a land that I'd searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey and the most beautiful of all lands. So God has actually, he's now given them in an history of the nation. He's met with them in Israel. Sorry, he's met with them in, in, in Egypt. He spoke with them in, in Egypt. He's already searched out a land for them. Why? Because they're his treasured possession. He just doesn't want them to live anywhere. Okay. And then he, let's pick it up. And I said to them, each of you, get rid of your vile images. You have set your eyes on. And do not defile yourself with idols of Egypt. I am your God. I am the Lord, your God. But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images and they set their eyes on. Nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Okay, so I said, if you can't find it, just listen to me. So I said, I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. For the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations. Yes, they lived among in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites by bringing them out of Egypt. Therefore, I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the desert. And I gave them my decrees and I made known to them my laws. For the man who obeys them, uh, me, so the man who obeys those laws will live. God saw that by the time they got to Sinai, they'd still adopted all the principles of Egypt. They still had their images. They still had their practices. So God says, you can't come up the mountain. Why? Because you're still a defiled bunch of people. If I come down and my glory touches you, you lot are finished. And even though he said to them, consecrate yourselves, it still wasn't the sacrifice that was needed. That's why he says, just let Moses and Aaron come up the mountain. Right? God gave them a special dispensation. But the rest of the crowd, they still had their evil practices. Listen, this is the reason why many Christians can't touch God. Because they want to ascend up the mountain, but they still have the practices of their fathers and their forefathers in their hearts. You've still got the ways of Egypt inside your thinking. You've still got old behaviours, old habits, things that you saw your parents do. You carry them. And here now you are a new creation, the old is gone. But you still think and function like the old is still here. So God says, will you ascend? Will you clean? I need to give you keys so you can ascend. The water level's got to rise. 
so that you can come up the mountain. But you can't come to me the way you want. See, when you're a Christian, listen, when you, when you don't know God, you, God comes to you. He reveals himself sovereignly. You get this? It's going to help you. When you don't know God, <coughs> God comes to you just as you are. And the evangelist says, just come to God as you are. Right? With your sin, your crime, whatever it is, your adultery, whatever it is, you come to God as you are. And God accepts you if you're genuine. But once, you, once you've been accepted, now you have to come on his standards. The rules change. True? Now there's grace for you to learn. And that's why the Bible says, desire milk. Milk will help you digest some of the things. <coughs> but if you stay on milk, you can never handle the meat. And you can never come to maturity. But most Christians want to stay on the milk, live their old way, live their old life, but still drink milk. God says, milk is only for a period of time. Then you need meat. Now the requirements are changing all the time. The grace, the grace gets less and less. That's why Paul says, don't you keep using your, your grace as a license to sin. Why? Because the standards are changing. Now, you've, you're, now you're responsible to work things out and come up higher. You can't keep expecting me to come down. The way has been made so you can go all the way. Now we don't have to meet halfway. True? We can go all the way in Christ because the old way of thinking is still the priesthood, the old priesthood. You come to the priest, he'll sort everything out for you. Go and sit in your little confession box. Forgive me, Father, I have sinned. What is it? Well, I've slept with four women this week. Oh, you dirty boy. Say three Hail Marys, our, forefa- our forefathers, <laughs> our forefathers, whatever it is, right? And then go away. Oh, bless me, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Next week, you go back out and do the same thing again. You thought the priest could, could take away your shame. The priest can't. True? So let's try the Church of England since you don't like the Catholic Church. You go to the Church of England, you go to bread. You go to take the bread and the wine. And you can't take the bread and the wine because the, the fellow says, have you been confirmed yet? No, no, what does that mean? Well, it means you've got to go through six years, six months, whatever it is. You've got to go through all this. What, just to take bread? Oh, because it's power. You've got to know what we know. My Bible says, you know, you can go all the way. Whenever you meet together, eat bread. So it removes, it removes. That's still an old way, still an old function. Still an old way of priesthood. It's still keeping the people away from God. We're now in Christ. He's a better mediator. All the promises are better. We can go all the way. I don't need the priest. I am a priest. You're a priest. We can go all the way. So he says, whenever you meet together, think about these things. Think on that which is good, that which is pure, that which is noble, that which is trustworthy, that which is righteous. Whenever two or three get together, there I am in the midst. Jesus said, I'm going to meet with you right where you are. We don't have to go up the mountain like Sinai did. Can I, can I ascend the hill? Yes, because you're allowed to go up. Why? Because you're now in me. Does it make sense? I'm going to have to close. I didn't realize it was that time. <coughs> Last scripture. Exodus 20. 24. Because they had not obeyed my laws, but had rejected my decrees and desecrated my Sabbaths, their eyes lusted after their father's idols. I also gave them over to statues that were not good And laws they could not live by. This is what God did for them. 
because their hearts were well away from him. I gave them to laws they couldn't reach, they couldn't attain to. They worshipped the God to their fathers. You know, guys, let's just talk to the guys for a minute. Every boy who's got a father who loves football, the son normally takes the father's colours. Call a tribal thing. Yeah? Occasionally, you get a rogue one. Like my son, becomes a red. Don't worry. There's sanctification somewhere in the world for him, but... Hey? Ezekiel, sorry. Is it, have I put Exodus there? Oh, sorry, I, I have said it wrong. It's Ezekiel in my notes, yeah. Sorry. I'm on the flow here. One of the sons will break away and do his own thing, okay? He pioneers his own way. But normally, it's transferred onto son. The father subliminally or consciously tries to put that on his son. Yes? Mum will do it differently in her own way to a daughter. Yes? The things that were passed down to her, she'll pass on. Right? And it's so easy to take your forefathers or your father's idols without you realizing. You've got to ask, why do you do the things you do? And it's so easy. These things will stop us entering in to the new things of God. This is why God says, be transformed. Be transformed. That's why God says, is there a new cry in your heart? If there's a new cry in your heart, God can cleanse you. God can cleanse you. As long as you're willing for him to show you, as long as you're willing to get rid of some stuff, God says, that's all I expect from my people. Let me in so I can take you up and take you in. But if you keep defending all the time why you shouldn't change, you'll never make a transition from Sinai to Zion. Let's stand to our feet. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.